Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. We are talking about the best picture of 1950, Joseph Mankiewicz, Mankiewicz's, yeah, that's rough, uh, All About Eve, starring Betty Davis, Ann Baxter, George Sanders, Thelma Ritter, and others. Um, but we're not gonna, I'm not going to talk about it by myself. That would be ridiculous. I need to bring in our resident best pictureologist, Josh Long. Josh, how you doing? Uh, doing pretty good. I like to think that I'm wearing like a lab coat and like <laughs> pointing to test tubes and be like, Joseph mm. Mankiewicz. Uh, yes. If I pour this vial, uh, this, the contents into this uh, beaker. Yes, indeed. Joseph Mankiewicz. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we're making our way. We're, we're almost into the 1940s. I know. This is very exciting. Yeah. And then it's only well over a year uh, until we're done. So <laughs> I don't know. Every, I guess when we're on the cusp of a, of a decade, um, I always feel the need to, to say like, hey, we're, we're making progress. This stuff is going to take forever. But you know what? Once, we, once we're done, then we will have a really nice little catalog I know. of I'm, the best pictures. So we're through, what, 67 years at this point? 66? I guess so, yeah. This will be the 67th. Yeah. And so as we, uh, and of course, as we've gone along, uh, anytime there's a new best picture, then we will talk about that as well. But uh, so All About Eve 1950 uh, is a film all about the theater scene. And as I think I mentioned when we talked about Birdman, um, the theater scene could probably be seen as a... uh, we wanted to make a movie about movies, but we don't want to be that self-indulgent or that <laughs> self-focused. So what can we do? Oh, okay, let's do this. But a lot of the same things that apply to theater yeah. as depicted in movies can be applied to film. Film's cousin, the theater. Yes. Although was it originally a play? It might've been, I think it might've been, but here's what I'm, here's what I'm saying. Uh, it winning best picture you know, like the Academy does like to, they're like, Oh, we're, see, we're not rewarding ourselves. This is about theater. <laughs> yes. Admittedly, most of us started in theater, but that's totally the same different. Time. Um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, I'm not sure, uh, if it was, if it was based on anything, um, or if it was, uh, originally a play, but, um, it feels like it could be, I'll say that mm-hmm. it definitely has a, a certain, uh, spark to its, uh, its dialogue that feels yeah. very theatrical. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, when is the last time you saw it? It's been years, but it is one that I've seen many, uh, multiple times. It's great. It is very good. That is maybe one of the best scripts uh, in film history. Yeah, it's it's real solid. And uh, yeah, it's funny because uh, 
we uh, have an episode about Neon Demon as mm-hmm. well. I don't know when that... Uh, oh, uh, weeks ago. Weeks ago, yes. Yeah. So, so weeks ago when we talked about that. Um, uh, but this has some kind of similarities to that a little bit. It does, doesn't in it? that it's like a, a new young upstart comes into the scene and everybody's like nice to her at first until yeah. she starts to get what she wants. Yeah. And then she goes through a, a bit of a transformation where she becomes a different, in a way, a different person. When we recorded about Neon Demon... Uh, all right, listeners, here's the deal. We're recording about Neon Demon and All About Eve on the same day. And so as I was talking about, as I was describing Neon Demon, I was like, hey, wait a second. <laughs> and I thought, I should bring that in. Oh, wait, All About Eve is not the companion film. It's a it's a film that people aren't going to hear us talk about for weeks. Yeah. So maybe I shouldn't mention it. But it's worth mentioning here that, yes, yeah. it is a, it's a similar story. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting to me is that so uh, Eve Harrington is played by Ann Baxter and then Margot Channing is played by Betty Davis. And I do like that they are co-leads. Yeah. You know, in a film that is all about Eve, it's a, the film it actually isn't all about Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you have these two, you have the up-and-comer who's doing great and you have the old pro who feels threatened. Mm-hmm. And that the film gives them equal time, I think speaks to the type of biting quality that the film is committed to. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I say the the script is good what I'm, what I'm mostly talking about is how, how sharp that dialogue is. And I say sharp in every sense of the word, like it is cutting in many, in many ways. Uh, I would say in many, it's, it's similar to, um, sweet smell of success. Mm, Have yeah. you seen that one? Yes just everybody knows exactly the right thing to say mm-hmm. and they say it uh, in, in a way that is loaded and yeah. that will cut you to the core. Yeah. Um, and it is, it, it's, it's the way people wish they talked. Uh, <laughs> I definitely that, know I do. There's a lot of that good, like forties and fifties dialogue yeah. that nobody talks like that anymore. But yeah. wow, if everybody did, and it's arguable whether they talked like it then. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like they couldn't have. People don't talk that fast. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to say. Um, I wish they were still making movies where people talked like that. I'm, I was trying to think if there are any where they do really, and I I really can't think of any. I can't either. I mean, like this kind of staccato, like back and forth. There are moments very briefly when mammoth gets into it yeah very briefly i feel like the 70s changed the way that people started doing oh, yeah. dialogue in movies and then we've just kind of stayed mostly the same since then well and i wonder if it's even the 70s because i think i think probably honestly, late 60s yeah i think it probably started with marlon brando i feel like the acting started to mm. change and you realized well this acting style can't deliver dialogue like this it could be yeah I feel like you don't start to see movies that really embrace that until right. probably mid or late sixties. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I always kind of think of the graduate as being kind of a, a turning point for yeah. the way American film, uh, sounds and looks a lot of it. I'd and, say that and like Bonnie and Clyde, that one yeah. especially, maybe especially because it's operating in a genre that we are familiar with, but it does it in such an unfamiliar way. Yeah. Um, in a way that just feels very, very in the moment, yeah. uh, as opposed to, you know, the gangster genre, just everyone knew exactly what they were going to say all the time. Nobody spoke over each other. Nobody was insecure. Yeah. Uh, Edward G. Robinson, James Cagney, like they just, you knew exactly what you were getting. And then yeah. 
Bonnie and Clyde comes along and it's just like, Oh, these are actual human characters and I don't always like them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, but the graduate is up there as well. That's, it's a film that I've never loved the graduate. And I know that we're not talking about it right now. I'm sorry (laughs) about that, but, uh, I have never loved the graduate. I respect it a lot, but I have never responded to it the way most people do. And, and including you, Mm -hmm. I know that you love it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I do think that uh, in many ways, what a wonderful world we would live in if everybody spoke like they do in <laughs> All About Eve. But also, what a terrible world <laughs> where nobody is actually loyal to one another. Nobody actually likes one another. Everybody yeah. is just purely ambitious. Um, yeah. And it would just we would all be so, so insecure yeah. <laughs> if we lived in that world. Well, you know, if you think about it, to a lot of the, the movies that where people talk this way are populated with a lot of kind of bad people. Yeah. Like whether we're talking about gangsters or even, uh, the private eyes like a Sam Spade Mm -hmm. have a, an, an edge to them where they're not, you maybe can't totally trust them. Yeah. And, uh, or like sweet smell of success. They're all like scoundrels. Yeah. And that's, that's the case in this one. They're all scoundrels. Although I feel like that's a word you don't often apply to women. Yeah, um, not really. That's more of a that's more of a guy thing. Maybe there's a female equivalent for scoundrel. I don't know. Do you think that the word scoundrel has come to be seen as affectionate? A little bit. Yeah, I think people so use it for dogs and stuff. Really? Yeah. Like, huh. Yeah, that little scoundrel. Oh, I guess that's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, it sounds too it, cute. I think. See, and I don't see it as cute. I see it as like winking. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this guy, he's doing bad things. I don't like him. He's kind of a scoundrel. But, like, there's also, like, <laughs> he's almost a scamp, a lovable <laughs> scamp. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and then I think also the this way of speaking is also something that you would find in, like, uh, screwball comedies and romantic comedies of the time. But those also aren't the best people. Yeah. Um, they are often very concerned with them, with mm-hmm. themselves. Um as far as wonderful scripts, I, I think that, uh, with marvelous dialogue, I think the Philadelphia story, which again is, uh, that one is based on a play, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, you have people that just talk in such a wonderful way, but they're all just completely self-centered. <laughs> um, and then they, cause they, you know, you gotta have somewhere to go. So they have an arc where they're not as self-centered <laughs> and, uh, you know, Cary Grant just pushes Catherine Hepburn right in the face. Um, and we're all fine with it because <laughs> it's, it's Cary Grant. Um, but yeah, I will say, uh, so all about Eve, was that my first exposure to Betty Davis? It might've been, I think it was, for and me. it might, it might be my only one. I don't know if I've seen any other Betty Davis movies and she was like the Hollywood actress for years. Yeah. I get her mixed up with Joan Crawford sometimes. Well, for, I'm sure they would love that <laughs> for, <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, but, uh, so there are some films that I can't remember which one of them mm. is in it. It's so interesting doing what we do here and just looking back and just having to look at movies, filmmakers that were such a big deal at the time. And don't get me wrong all about Eve. I think it's, I think yeah. everyone should watch it. I think everyone will enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I think in many ways, by having by having a film with just so many scoundrels, it actually I think is just as relevant as mm-hmm. as it ever was. Um, but uh, 
But it is interesting. Uh, this is something I've said about Robert Wise as a director. He's He won Best Director twice. He's responsible for movies that people love, but he's not an auteur. And so people remember the movies, not him. Yeah. Same with Michael Curtiz. Hmm. Um, and Betty Davis is an actress that I think people, certainly film people, still look at her and say, like, oh, there's such a strength to her. But I feel like she's not talked about very much. I feel like she's been eclipsed by Catherine Hepburn. Hmm. I think, like, as far as the, if you had to boil it down to the actress of the time, it was Catherine Hepburn. Hmm. Um, yeah, it could have been. Well, and she was even like, I feel like her heyday was a little bit earlier too. It was, she was big in the thirties. Yeah. So there was something in that casting too, that they took somebody yeah. who was not, not that she had faded away, but like yeah. that she wasn't the, certainly wasn't the ingenue anymore. Yeah. Um, so that was a good casting choice to take somebody who was once that yeah. and uh, put her in that awkward position of kind of being replaced. Uh, but unlike Sunset Boulevard, which came out this year as well, which mm-hmm. does, which features a similar thing, yeah. this aging uh, silent uh, actress. Um, but Betty Davis was not yet, her character was not yet a has-been. And right. Betty Davis was not yet a has-been. Like she no. had a name, yeah. but she was on the cusp like right. she was like okay time to move from leading into character parts yeah um and so that and that's the key because there has to be a certain a certain um desperation uh and insecurity and in like okay it's only a matter of time before i dip into this completely other space of hollywood or or fame mm-hmm. and and to see your replacement coming I'm yeah. sure is very uh, unnerving. Yeah, but um, but yeah, and I do I do uh, remember loving the performances. I think Ann Baxter does a great job mm-hmm. uh, as well, being again like this uh, this newcomer who is shrewder. I think, or at least she picks up on the way things work pretty quick. Um, so I like that, but obviously the character of the film, as far as I'm concerned, is Addison DeWitt, played by George Sanders, who won Best Supporting Actor for the yeah, film. He's great in this film. I love George Sanders all around, and he's, like, there's not a whole lot of movies we can see him in now. Um, yeah, I mean, I, at this point, probably his cultural legacy is that he voiced Shere Khan in The Jungle Book. Right. Um, and he was in a Picture of Dorian Gray. He's in Rebecca, like, yeah. you know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he just and he he just has that voice that actually got like deeper as he got older, mm-hmm. which is why you know in the '60s when he vo- when he voiced Shere Khan, he's like, oh my gosh, this is <laughs> what a wonderful voice. <laughs> um, but yeah, his I will quote uh, "Sweet Smell of Success." Like Addison Dewitt, Dewitt is just a cookie full of arsenic. <laughs> he is just so. And what I love is that as uh he's a critic and he he's kind of on the outside of the theater world but you by the end you get the impression he runs the whole show yeah <laughs> which as a critic i love um <laughs> but and also it's ridiculous we don't, nobody I, I maybe theater critics had that much power at the time could be yeah um they were definitely very respected positions yeah. like for a long for many years yeah um, and I do like that his character is seen as like just this oh this lovable cad and then you realize like 
then it's like, oh, wow, he runs everything. And then you realize, oh, gross. <laughs> like, he's using this to, like, get sex out of people and just, he is a real monster. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I love him so much. Um, he really probably should be thought of, when people talk about, like, the great villains of, of film, Yeah, I feel like Addison DeWitt should be up there. That's definitely, a, yeah, a good one. Um, incidentally, look, here's the deal. I What I'm about to say, I'm reluctant to do so because we've talked on the show about suicide before and how horrible it is. George Sanders killed himself. Hmm. Did you ever uh, read his suicide note? No. It's, it's as George Sanders as you can get. I will leave you and the listener to look it up. Of course, it's still tragic. And I think underneath, it's interesting underneath. I think there's, there's such, there's such a sadness there because it would, it would seem that even in, even in his suicide, he felt like he couldn't break character. He huh. had to be George Sanders to the end. Wow. And it's just like, I, could, I think he says that he's doing this because he got bored. And I was like, and I feel like, oh, how very droll. But you don't, people don't kill themselves for that reason. Right, yeah. Um, and so there's a, in, in some ways, like, aha, how great. But in other ways, like, oh, uh, somebody is dead. And they probably did not admit to themselves or to others why they are willing to do this so yeah. there's a that's definitely a, a sad capper on the life of of uh, george sanders but mm-hmm. um but yeah it is a, a really marvelous character and a marvelous performance um so the film won best picture director writing costume supporting actor and sound it was nominated for best actress for both ann baxter and Beatty davis best supporting actress for Celeste Holm and Thelma Ritter is uh, up for cinematography, art direction, editing, and music like this, which, which fascinates me. This is, it's not a small film, but it certainly is not an epic by any yeah. stretch. Yeah. Um, it is, it, there's an intimacy to it that even though it spans several characters, um, and it is about the big, in some ways, the bigness of the theater, you know, it's not, uh, you know, if you look at the movies, it's wedged in between. It's not an American in Paris, and it's not uh, All the King's Men, mm-hmm. which features, you know, big rousing speeches, and it's, it's about no less than politics itself, America, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this bitter little film comes along and is so embraced by the Academy mm-hmm. that, I, that I love it. Yeah. Um, well, and it feels like this type of film, and we'll get into this when we get into the 40s, but this type of film was kind of more the type of thing that won back then for the forties. Anyway, I um, think so. Maybe because it was a lot of, of uh, kind of hard hitting drama type stuff. And that's not necessarily, I feel like that was probably a, a, a thing for a little while, you know, like we've mm-hmm. talked about a lot of times a decade or a certain decade or a certain era will have, will gravitate towards a few certain types of things. And I think in the forties was a time that they, they liked that. Yeah. In the forties, I mean, you had stuff like Maltese Falcon and double indemnity being nominated for a picture, not winning, Mm -hmm. but, um, but there was plenty of darkness elsewhere, uh, as well. you know, if you want to look at, um, the lost weekend and best years of our lives, which Mm -hmm. is is upbeat towards the end, but it's pretty dark. Yeah. And then stuff like all the King's men, which talks about the dark side of politics. Like, yeah, I guess, I guess, uh, the forties probably as a result of some of the horrible things that happened in world war two, mm-hmm. um, 
movies were being made and just darkness was being kind of embraced, uh, mm-hmm. even even as victory was being celebrated. Yeah. And so, yeah, maybe even with something like All About Eve, you have Hollywood saying like, yeah, we're not so great either. Mm-hmm. Um which be uh, which is a theme in another movie that was nominated for Best Picture, which is uh, Sunset Boulevard, and so I will um, I will use that to get us into the other nominees. You've got Born Yesterday, Father of the Bride, King Solomon's Mines, and Sunset Boulevard. I have seen Father of the Bride. It's been a long time. That's um, a, that's Spencer Tracy, right? Yeah. That version. Uh, and then, of course, I've seen Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I have not seen Born Yesterday. I think I would enjoy it because I like Broderick Crawford a lot. That's a is that the comedy with the um, well? What what do you know? What it's the uh, I don't remember the specifics. I think it's um, there's this guy who I think is like a politician or a big businessman, and his wife who's kind of dumb, and he so the businessman pays for her to get a tutor, and she starts to fall in love with her tutor. Okay. It was made, uh, it was remade in the nineties with John Goodman, Melanie Griffith and Don Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently it was very bad, but this, but yeah, this was the, the original. I think I've seen part of that at least. I think I might've seen part of that on TCM one time. That's not, that makes sense. Um, so of these, as much as I love all about Eve, Sunset Boulevard is where it's at. Um, <laughs> And I feel bad saying that because, uh, you know, if you're a listener to this, you probably like movies um, and you probably love movies. And if you love movies, you have seen Sunset Boulevard. And so as I talk about how I think that deserved picture more, I really want to implore you if you haven't seen All About Eve, which it's likely you haven't. It's not a film that like a lot of film nerds talk about anymore. See it. It's, I don't like it as much as Sunset Boulevard, but in many ways it is every bit as satirical, every bit as cutting, wonderfully written, wonderfully acted. Yeah. Um, you know, when I say that I prefer Sunset Boulevard and I think it should have won, it's close. It's very close. Yeah. And I have no problem with All About Eve winning. Right. It's not one of those years where you're like a mediocre movie beat out a great movie, which yeah. we've been through some of those, but this is one where like a, a great movie beat out a really great movie, maybe. And hey, uh, probably it would probably make a pretty good double feature now that I think about it. Oh yeah, it. definitely. And they because they deal with so many of the same themes. Yeah. Um, I think Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard. I think over the years has stood out a little bit more um, because it has more of because uh, it's got like the noir and genre elements right. to it. And I think it has like oh the 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 nature of the narration. I think is something people liked. Yeah. And it's bizarre in a lot of ways. But also, I think this is where the auteur thing comes in. And mm-hmm. I know that uh, Joseph Mankiewicz was seen as an auteur, but he's not talked about now. Billy Wilder yeah. is. Yeah. And so people will arrive at Sunset Boulevard if for no other reason than because they w- they're following Billy Wilder. Right. Um, I don't know of a lot of people that feel the need to follow Joseph Mankiewicz. And so... Um, so people might not arrive at all about Eve, yeah. Um, but they should, yeah. And here's what I'll say: so there's a double feature. Let's make it a triple feature with another <laughs> movie that came out this year called okay. In a Lonely Place. Oh yeah. Speaking of the dark side of Hollywood, mm. it has what I think is Humphrey Bogart's best performance yeah, as this this tortured screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is about uh, 1950, I guess, that Hollywood is <laughs> like, all right, everyone, let's look inward. Oh, I don't like what we see. You know what? American in Paris, that's what we like. 
Um, but, uh, but yeah. And so looking at, uh, the other, uh, a few notable films from 1950, you've got the asphalt jungle, which I adore cheaper by the dozen, which I've never seen Cinderella, Cyrano de Bergerac, which, uh, Jose Ferrer is in it, right? And I think he won Best Actor. Okay, that yeah, year. it could be that, that. That's one of those movies they've made so many times. I have yeah. trouble keeping track of who's in it. Uh, L'Enfant Terrible is that how you say it? Yeah, I think. Hey, so. Hey, all right. Uh, I feel like I probably exaggerated that. Which I I have, but I don't remember that much of that movie. I think it's Melville. Hmm. Jean-Pierre Melville, but uh, yeah, I don't recall. It's definitely based on a play. I know that. Yes, I think it is. But I don't remember too much else about it. I own the movie. I should watch it again. Um, Glass Menagerie, Gun Crazy, which is a film that people didn't care about at the time. But since then, it has been... It's gotten kind of a cult status. Yeah. yeah I've never seen it. Um, yeah, certainly as far as... Uh, if you're a fan of film noir, I think these days you will arrive at Gun Crazy. Because yeah. um, also it was it was influenced by certain European ideas and mm. it also influenced, uh, Europeans. Like there are oh, yeah. shots in there that, cl- that, uh, clearly influenced breathless. Mm. Um, and, uh, so it's, it's definitely worth seeing. Um, Harvey came out in 1950. I mentioned in a lonely place already. Um, treasure Island night in the city, Winchester 73, a lot of, uh, a lot of genre stuff. Um, yeah. which is, which is fine. Um, and now that I think about it, like, so I, I go through, when I make these lists, I go through, I type into Wikipedia, I type 1950 in film. Hmm. And it just gives a, a list of every movie that was released and it, it, in the U.S. And so I go through and I write down the ones that I, that I not merely have heard of, but that I've heard really anything about. Uh, even if it's negative, um, just because like, okay, that was a notable bomb or something like that. Right. Um, and so as I'm going through, like, these are movies that I, these are movies that came out in 1950 that I have heard of. There might be movies that were huge at the time that just have not been remembered. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so yeah. And I do think that by and large genre movies are what are remembered. Hmm. more so than like a, a, a hard hitting drama or something like that. It could be because those, uh, those still do for us now what they would have done for audiences right. then like certain things, even some of the movies that, you know, will come to later that won best picture, like uh gentleman's agreement is a movie about mm-hmm. anti anti-Semitism. Yeah. Well, it feels very tame nowadays with the sure. way that it talks about it. And, uh, and it was in a time where, Jewish people weren't allowed into country clubs and stuff yeah. like that in a way that it, it seems outlandish today, if that yeah. were to, to be the case. So, um, so yeah, there are some ones like that that don't have that lasting power because the issues uh, are, are looked yeah. at different ways than, uh, than they were then. But I mean, genre is always genre. Like Westerns always have, you know, cowboys shooting each other up and, and yeah. I guess when you think about it, we're getting into the era now when when these genres were formed, yeah. you know. Um, and so if, if anybody's going to look back at how movies were made back then, because even if somebody makes a noir now, they don't make it like they did then. Right. Um, you know, it's something like L.A. Confidential, which I love, but the characters don't talk the way Sam Spade does or... Yeah. Um, Walter Neff from Double Indemnity. Like, they don't talk like yeah. them. They talk Even like Even in Chinatown, us. they don't talk that way. I yeah. Mean, that's in the 70s. Yeah. Um, and so, I think when someone's like, okay, what's 
what's the biggest difference between how they make movies now versus then you will probably arrive at genre because genre movies now, like if you make a Western now, it probably won't feel like a Western then partially because you don't want it to seem like that because people be like, Oh, you don't want to be, uh, you know, insensitive towards native Americans or something like that. Or, uh, maybe let's, let's be a bit more introspective and you get something like unforgiven or something like that. Um, and you don't want to just be retreading the past either. Exactly. That's, that was a lot of the big push in the seventies when, uh, these younger filmmakers like Lucas and Spielberg or everything, they were taking, uh, taking these genre things and doing something yeah. new with them and expanding the idea of what a sci-fi film looks like or what a creature feature looks like. So, um, so what I'll say is like, even looking at, at some of the other films that came out this year, um, I'm still absolutely fine with all about Eve winning. I think I, uh, as I said, I would prefer sunset Boulevard, but let me ask you this. I don't know if we do this at the end of every decade, but I think we do. So, We've now covered the fifties. Mm-hmm. So looking from 50 to 59, what can we conclude from an Oscar standpoint, maybe from a Hollywood standpoint in general, but let's, let's focus on Oscars. What can we, what can we conclude from the 1950s? I think we see a, uh, we see a shift back towards, um, spectacle. Yeah. Because we had that a little bit, and, you know, obviously we'll get to this in, uh, I don't know, in 2023 or something. Yeah. But uh, in the 30s, we were seeing some spectacle stuff like Cimarron yeah. or um, Gone, uh, with the Wind. Uh, Gone with the Wind. Exactly. Some of the, some bigger stuff like that. Union on the Bounty, I guess, might be seen as a spectacle. Maybe, yeah. Um, and so I think we kind of came away from, we come away from that in the 40s a little bit, but the 50s is, is sort of a return to that, which will then culminate yeah. into a bunch of musicals in the 60s. Um uh, so yeah, you're seeing spectacle like around the world in 80 days, like uh, greatest uh, show on greatest earth. show on earth. Ben Hur, Ben Hur, even like Ben Hur yeah. is uh, is uh, it has more depth to it, and there's more mm. character and story to it, but it's definitely a spectacle thing. And I think I feel like we were just talking about um, filmmakers kind of recreating an old genre or an old style and kind of turning it into something new. I feel like in the fifties is where you start to see them redo the idea of the epic. Yes. I, I think, think you so. had a, certainly, um, you could call gone with the wind an epic, but, uh, the, like Ben Hur seems like a throwback to those sword and sandal epics of like the silent mm-hmm. era, like the old yeah. Cecil B. DeMille stuff. And, um, that is then going to turn into, I, I think, I think, yeah, fifties is where you start to see that become a thing again, and then that gets into your your David Lean and that kind of thing. And I think some of that has to do with you know uh, something that I've noticed is like each decade of film. Look at this moment, looking through the prism of the Oscars, like each decade does seem to be a rebuke of the previous decade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would say like from sixty seven to nineteen seventy nine or eighty, I think like okay, that's a, that's a period there. Then you get the eighties where it's like spectacle, it's razzle dazzle again, mm-hmm. uh, and then the, in the nineties you do get you still have some of that, but you also get like some some darker stuff as well. Um, and so with the nineteen forties, you you do have like the the spirit of death and war just kind of looming over everything and, and things are dark, things are biting. You can't trust people. Uh, and, and then like 1950, it, 
All About Eve seems like an, a 40s movie that came out at the very end of the 40s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, same with Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. And then it's like, all right, we got that out of our system. Now it's time for an American in Paris, greatest show on earth, Gigi. Like, here yeah. we go. But also it was TV. TV. It was, I was about to say yeah. it's the same thing like that uh, because that had such an effect on the way people uh, consumed entertainment. The, the studios had to change and, and do yeah. something to get you out to the theater. And that's what did it. Like big epics got you out longer movies. You start to see these yeah. longer, these movies get longer yeah. again and uh, color widescreen longer. Yeah. You know, you could see something like all about Eve on television. Yeah. Pretty easily. Um, you know, dialogue heavy, not a lot of camera movements. It's not very, it's not very ambitious from a, a, a spectacle standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, the fifties and then, you know, you, you get it that into the sixties a little bit, but even stuff like Lawrence of Arabia is a different type of Epic because at the center of it is this weird enigmatic guy that you can't figure out, yeah. but you have the sixties looking at the fifties and being like, well, you say spectacle and I say artifice mm-hmm. and we want, as you mentioned with the graduate, I want to be more real. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, I think, I think the fifties are maybe I won't say uh, rebuke is a strong word, but it's definitely, informed sort of inversely informed by the the 40s and the advent of television Mm -hmm. um and i wonder if that's one of the reasons that you i feel like you don't see a whole lot of genre at least in the same way in in the 50s and maybe even in the 60s because when you're talking about like sort of lower budget small scale mm -hmm. genre that's definitely people would go to tv for that instead yeah that's when you get your your twilight zone or your westerns or things like that and so you don't see a lot of westerns in the same way getting especially getting towards the end of the 50s and um really kind of sci-fi either or and i wondered so you took a class on film noir in college right or you i took a film noir screenwriting class okay um Um, but knowing a little bit more about film noir maybe than i do uh, do they talk i can see that being one of the reasons that film noir died as people say that it yeah, because did. the nature of noir is that it's small. Yeah. You know, it's small and intimate and claustrophobic and all of that. Um, and Hollywood is not interested in that. So much so that when Hitchcock wanted to make Psycho, uh, it was actually a bit of a struggle for, you know, this was the guy right before he'd made North by Northwest, which was a big success for him. And Vertigo had not done super well, but like you had, I mean, he was Alfred Hitchcock. He was a big deal. He could get anything done. But then when he said, I want to make this... Uh, this small slasher, he didn't say slasher, but this sl- small killer movie. And I want it to be in black and white, by the way. And the student's like, what are you talking about? What are you doing to us? It's 1960. You're Alfred Hitchcock. And this is a movie. <laughs> and it's worth noting that he used his crew from Alfred Hitchcock presents yeah. to make the film. Um, yeah, I do think that, uh, that that's probably one of the reasons that, that noir kind of died off. Um, and then I think some of, I think some of noir's sensibilities got just absorbed into other, yeah. like the cynicism of noir you find all over the sixties and seventies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even if you don't find the, the style as well. Um, and I think there was just, I do think that television also, because I took a TV history class. Mm. Um, and I do think that, T 
TV, there's something about it being in your home that even if you were watching something that was stylized, it seemed more real. Hmm. It seemed smaller and closer to actual people. And so you started to see in the 50s and certainly the 60s this push towards realism. And film noir is not that. Yeah. And a lot of Westerns aren't that. Yeah. Which is why you saw like the revisionist Western and like stuff like, you know, the wild bunch and mm -hmm. uh, Bonnie and Clyde, I think has certain Western sensibilities. Yeah. Um, but you saw a very different type. Um, so yeah, the fifties was a very interesting transitional time. I guess you could say that any, maybe any movie era is transitional. I don't necessarily think the eighties are. Um, but, uh, yeah. but I, I think know. the seventies you've got like such cynicism after like Vietnam and Watergate, the sixties, you see just a cultural transition. Uh, and then in the fifties, I think you get a cultural transition, but only in regard, not only, but mostly in regards to changing technology hmm. and the impact that it is having on the larger culture. But, um, but yeah, so I think we will, we will end there. Um, usually what I, how we end this is we say like, you know, would we recommend all about Eve? We obviously do. Um, listeners, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It is, you will love it. You have seen it several times. Yeah. Um, it is a movie that, uh, not unlike a film noir, you can return to it over and over again and just enjoy these characters and the way they talk. And, yeah. uh, and yeah, it's, it is a remarkably entertaining movie, even though it is about extremely toxic people. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. I'm recording so far in advance. I have no idea what we're going to talk about next week, but that's all right. Stay tuned anyway. I'm sure it'll be, I don't know, I'm sure it'll be passable. Um, but yeah, so thank you everybody for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye.